0: welcome to Mosaic Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Mosaic Church Leeds based in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information on Mosaic Church, please visit mosaic-church.org.uk. Thank you for listening. Nice to see you all. Uh, if you've got a Bible, why don't you get that out? So we're going to read from Matthew chapter 5, uh, looking at verses 21 to 22 to begin with. And if you don't have a Bible on you, feel free just to read behind me. It should come on the screen in just a moment. And this is uh, Jesus speaking to his disciples. And he says this, You've heard that it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, why don't you turn to the person next to you and say, but I tell you. But I tell you, that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. As Theo explained, we're currently um, in a series looking at the Sermon on the Mount, a collection of Jesus' teachings that's going to take us through Matthew 5, 6, and 7 in the New Testament. And this teaching is his manifesto for Christian living. So if you want to know what it is to live as a Christian in the world, Matthew Matthew 5, 6 and 7 will show you how. He tells us that we're meant to be tangy and tasty in the world like salt. And we're meant to uh, also be like light, uh, throwing light, showing up evil and showing the way to God. And we've been learning about that in the last few weeks. Last week, the rest of the church, we are one church in three gatherings uh, the north and south actually an extra week uh, on you guys, and they looked at uh, the passage just before the one we're studying tonight, where Jesus talks about keeping all the rules that the Pharisees and the scribes, those people that were experts in the law, kept, but also going further than them in obedience. There's was a massive thing for him to say because if law keeping was a sport, the Pharisees were like the world champions. I'm not sure we'd even get close to them. These guys even tithed their herbs. So if anyone has bought a tenth of their garden mint or parsley tonight, you are sort of on track with their level. Any, no, no hands. I thought that, was that a yawn at that point? Okay, folks, great. <laughs> I thought, wow, that's impressive. Um, so what does Jesus mean? Because like, it he, he seems like he's setting the bar far too high for Jesus. Like he usually speaks to our hearts. What's going on? Well, what we find is that he's changing the focus of obedience and righteousness and right living from just external obedience to inner heart transformation. So he's saying this, if you trust me, I make your heart new. And then everything, including your obedience, flows from that place. Why don't you turn to the person next to you and say, he makes your heart new. Oh, you did that so nicely. Oh, that was so sweet. It was like, it makes your heart use. And with a heart that is free, you're capable of living a right life, a life that's tangy and tasty. And so Jesus sets it all up like that. Your heart is going to be transformed if you trust him. And then the rest of chapter 5 is about what it looks like to obey. And the first thing he wants us to do differently from the heart concerns the area of anger. Jesus forbids not just the outward act of murder, but every thought and word that seeks to destroy a person's life. Now, speaking personally, um, it's a pretty difficult thing to speak about. Because I get angry. And when, uh, if I'm very honest, when I look at my life and probably my worst mistakes as a parent it was usually down to the fact that I was angry. When I think about my friendships and my relationships and the things that I said or thought or did that were harmful, most of those things happened when I was angry. Just last week, um, we pulled out of our drive and uh, sadly, our neighbours really don't like us very much. And so as we pulled out of the drive and went past their house, Uh, the guy who owns the house was sat in his car, and as he watched us go by, he sort of stuck his middle finger up at us. And uh, I probably didn't do the right thing, but I slammed on my brakes and reversed, so my car was level with his. I wound down my window. Now, my family was in the car, and so what was going off inside me was, how dare you? Like, my wife's in the car, and you're just cursing my wife. My kids are in the back. Like, how dare you do that with them here? But the fact that they were in the car was quite helpful. (laughs) And sort of the filters went up. And uh, I wound down the window and I looked at him and I just said, seriously, is that how you feel towards us? And he just sort of looked me in the eye and nodded. And then I drove off. Jesus' words regarding anger are so challenging because most of us know what it is to be angry. And we live in an angry world. And so many of us are dealing it with our housemates, with our work colleagues, with our family. We're dealing with anger on a weekly basis. Now, there is a type of anger that God is okay with, but this is what it looks like. A godly anger means that you bless those that curse you, you pray for those who are angry with you and who you are angry with and all the while you do good to them. But I see that sort of righteous anger so little I thought it would be best to spend our time looking at the anger most of us demonstrate in our lives. And in my experience there are five expressions of anger that will help sort of dial into hopefully Jesus speaking to your heart. The first anger is secret anger. This is Uh, where sometimes people simmer for years with a secret store of bile and hate that rarely leaks out, because it's a secret. And rather than expressing their anger to others, it causes people to withdraw emotionally and relationally. And if that sort of anger is left unresolved and untouched, then usually marriages start to drift apart, friendships are lost, and people exit from the church. And I wonder if that's you tonight. There's someone that struggles with secret anger. The 2nd we'll be very familiar to, and it's explosive anger. This anger is typical of people who tend to spontaneously combust when they get angry. They scream, they shout, they spit, they clench, they punch, it's ugly, and then you're done. The image in your mind to think of with explosive anger is the incredible Hulk. Why don't you turn to the person next to you and say, you wouldn't like me when I'm angry? (laughs) you know well some of you are getting quite threatening with that (laughs) Um, you see explosive anger all the time so literally I was cycling into work uh, this week and I was on Kirkstall Road, and uh, there was clearly a student that had come from the accommodation in Kirkstall. It was about 8:30, so in the morning, so I think it was probably a little bit early for them to be up and out, and in society in general. So they were walking across the road in a sort of like a very sleep-like state. And they didn't realise they got halfway across the road when the lights turned green and all the cars were ready to go. But because he was in the middle of the road, you've got two lanes of traffic, all sort of like, like we're late for work, we're ready. And this guy, literally in a world of his own, is just like ambling by. And he finally sort of gets across the road. And he doesn't sort of register, thanks, you know, you all waited patiently. And so the guy who's driving is in the car nearest him, winds down the window, and he just has to. And at this point, the guy suddenly realizes that there's a world around him. And he turns and realizes this guy is shouting at him. So he immediately asks, Who are you to say that? So the guy in the car, he suddenly realizes that the guy who's the pedestrian is shouting at him. So he opens his car door and gets out. And then at this point, you know, everyone that's in the queue, they're like, What are you doing? Get in the car! So the guy gets out and he's like, and the the guy who's the student, he's suddenly like, come on then. (laughs) And literally from sleepwalking to like explosive anger, three seconds. That's all it took for that whole thing to happen. You know, Sunday Times says 80% of us will be involved in road rage. Explosive anger, it's like we see it all the time. Thirdly, there's delayed anger. This is the anger that comes out after the thing that made you angry has happened. So in the moment, you're calm. You've got like perhaps an inner safety valve. Perhaps you're just scared of losing it in front of lots of people. And you don't realize how angry you are until afterwards. And it it all comes out. You let out the steam. You need to be careful if this is you. Because this... Anger that comes out after the incident is often linked to insults, which are the outworking of anger that Jesus is primarily addressing in the passage. So private name calling, bringing someone down, you fool, you idiot, you imbecile. That's what raka means, you imbecile. It's using language to damage people's souls. And it's actually far more damaging than punching someone or hurting someone physically. You know, I was only ever involved in one fight at school. I was pretty young and it was that thing, I don't know if you ever were involved, like you look such a nice bunch, you probably never fought anyone, but it was like, i meet you by the school gates at the end of school and everyone's was like, fight, fight, fight. And I smacked this guy, right? as so I was like, I'm going to just go in quick, smacked him one and he like ducked and so I just caught him right on the top of the head and like totally bust my wrist. And so like that was it, end of fight. And I sort of walk, walked home like, with my, like poor wrist. And then sort of saw him next to school when we played football, no damage done. A couple of years later, apart from my wrist, a couple of years later, uh, secondary school and uh, all boys school. And so obviously the task of my class is to find the weakest boy in the school and the weakest boy in the class. And so what we did was this, and I was part of the crowd. We picked who we thought were the two weakest boys in the class, and we made them fight each other to work out who was right at the bottom of the pecking order. And it's shameful for me as I look back at those times, because my guess, those two lads who knew, that they were told that you're the weakest, you're the lowest of the low, and we're trying to find out who's really the weakest. I imagine they remember that day very clearly and I imagine it has a sting to it that hurts them even now. You know, people's words and accusations, calling people things goes straight to the heart and does a lot of damage. And So delayed anger, if that's you, be careful. Be careful how you use your tongue. Fourthly, you've got manipulative anger. You use your anger in calculating ways. So you channel your emotions to manipulate and dominate people and create a climate of fear. So in your house, perhaps it's you or you've got a housemate, which you just always feel you're sort of walking on eggshells around them. You feel they're going to kick off at any point. And what's actually happening is they're manipulating people to do what they want them to do. And lastly, and I'd say this is probably most common in, if you're English here and if you're international, you're so welcome, but this is what us Brits are like when we get angry. We are passive aggressive in our anger. That means, I call this sugar-coated anger. So this is when someone expresses hostility and anger at someone, but they do it indirectly. So rather than just say, I'm really angry at you, you're an idiot. The passive aggressive person will behave in a way that brings inconvenience and distress and discomfort and frustration. But all these behaviors taken in isolation are technically fine. But then, and they're not obvious attacks on the person, but you bring it together clearly. It's very upsetting for the recipient. You know, I wonder what sort of angry person are you? You know, I want you to turn to the person next to you, and uh, if you don't know, you can say, I don't really know what anger am I, I am, but um, if you can put a number to it, then why don't you tell the person next to you? And if you know the person next to you well, why don't you tell the person next to you what number that you think they are? Okay, good stuff. So it's interesting this. We're all angry. We're all angry. And sometimes when you're in a situation where everyone is angry, it can be easy to think that your anger is okay. And it's acceptable. I just want to show you from the Bible just really quickly why it's not acceptable and why Jesus treats this subject so seriously. And he gives two pictures. The first picture uh, is that of a foothold. Let me explain what I mean. Number one, anger harms you. If you allow anger to grow and fester in your heart, it gives the enemy a foothold in your life, a strong position to influence your life, Ephesians 4 says, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. The Bible's very, very clear that there is an evil presence in this world, and the Bible calls him Satan or the devil. And the devil's job is to seek out Christians and to destroy them at all costs with lies and making Christians believe those lies are true. And so he's looking for a foothold, a bridgehead, a strong place to shout his lies from. And this passage is saying in our anger we give the devil a place to speak those lies. What's fascinating is when you, uh, what happens when you let anger fester in your heart and grow in your heart and you don't proactively seek to handle your anger in a godly, uh, anger in a godly way, You become an expert in believing lies about yourself and others because you've given the devil a bit of a foothold to speak. You begin to think that you are strong and others are weak. You are good and others are bad. And it comes out in the way you treat people. You know, In the early years of marriage uh, between Philippa and I, we had this agreement to um, uh, avoid the words always and never. You always do this. You never do this. We had a little phrase, always avoid always, never, use the word never. And it's because we were so aware that when you start to elevate your own strengths, you tend to compare those strengths with other people's weaknesses. And if you do that, you always come out on top. You always win. And that stokes the flames of rage and anger in your heart. When we become experts at people's shortcomings and failures, we become angry people and our relationships disintegrate. To not be serious about anger in our hearts is to give the enemy a foothold in our lives that can cause loads of problems. So what does anger do? Well, number one, it really does harm you, but anger also harms others. Not only does anger and bitterness give the devil a foothold, but the second picture uh, is found in Hebrews 12. And it says this, Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. The picture here is a root, an invisible, bitter root that is growing underground that you do not realise that is there. And as you give yourself to anger again and again and again, this root eventually grows so big that it bursts through the ground and causes trouble. The more we stew, the more we fester, the more we can't forgive, the more we make arguments against each other, the more that invisible root grows in the ground. Proverbs 30 verse 33 tells us what happens if you allow anger to fester in your hearts. You will not believe this is actually in the Bible. But Proverbs um, this is Proverbs 30 it says, why don't we read this together? And if you feel free, if you want to act out, feel free. For as the churning of milk produces butter and the twisting of a nose produces blood, so stirring up anger produces strife. Your hurt hurts others. Your hurt hurts others. God wants to deal with the anger because of the devastation it causes to the people we love. Do you really want to be the person that passes on your pain, your hurt, to the people you love the most? Instead, Jesus wants us to be free. You know, what he's saying in the passage that we read is this. If you murder someone, of course you're going to be judged. But I would rather you just have the freedom of heart to not always be angry to not walk in the kind of anger that would ever lead to that, to actually be set free from those kinds of outbursts that might actually end with you wrestling someone to the ground and killing them. This new command reveals the love and wisdom of God. He wants us to know that because of the heart work that Jesus does, taking a heart of stone and making it a heart of flesh, one that can actually obey God, he says to us very clearly, I want you to be a different sort of person. So practically, what does it look like? Well, let me just take us through the next couple of verses as we draw this to a close. Verse twenty-three. Therefore, if you are uh, if you uh, are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, and first go and be reconciled to them, and then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you've paid the last penny. So there's two specific commands here. Number one, he's saying fix broken relationships. It's so important this, that he wants you to deal with your anger before you come to him in worship. Jesus actually imagines someone getting all all the way to the temple courts in Jerusalem. Remember, this is 2,000 years ago. And he's imagining someone coming to worship God at the temple. And as they enter the courtyard, what people would do is they would pick up a sacrificial animal. They'd pay for this animal. And then he's imagining them holding the lamb or the dove under their arm and suddenly thinking, Oh my gosh. I've got such and such to sort out with that person, dropping the animal and then making their way back home. And the whole thing's meant to be quite comical. So a lot of Jesus' hearers would have come from Galilee. Galilee was three days' journey, six days in total. And so the idea of someone just about to offer their sacrifice, realising, oh no, I've got to get right with Aunt Vera and something went wrong there, Leaving this animal just to wander wild for six days is ludicrous. Jesus is exaggerating to make a point. The point is that we must live day by day in such a way that when you come to worship, there is no anger between you and a friend. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I want you to live in such a way that you don't have to go back. But day by day, you live with a short account with those around you. But if there is anger, notice who the person is who is angry. Verse 23, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Is it you that's angry? No. Someone is angry at you. Jesus is so serious about the way that we interact with one another with this anger deal. He's saying, if you come to worship me and you remember that there is a brother or sister who has something against you and is angry at you, you press pause on worship and you go and make things right. You go and be reconciled to your brother. You fix your friendships quick. And that's hard. because It might not ultimately be your fault. Someone might have misunderstood the situation. I wonder right now, is anyone angry at you? At home? In your family? With your friends? Jesus is saying, before you sing another note, you make the call and you put it right. And not only does he tell us very practically we must fix broken relationships, but secondly, he says that we're to do it quickly. The second practical command is to do with settling accounts quickly with people that have something against you. He says, don't go to court over differences, rather sort out the issue beforehand, otherwise you could end up going to jail and paying all the costs. Proverbs 15 verse 1 is a beautiful verse. In terms of sorting out relationships quickly, it says a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Jesus is after the gentle answer that comes quick. He wants us to cut out hurt and anger as quick as possible, to nip it in the bud. Uh, Back to my neighbours. Six months or so ago, we had a loft conversion done. We checked with our neighbours, made sure that was okay. Um, but the night before we were about to start work, we had a handwritten letter posted through our letterbox. And uh, clearly, they'd sort of spent all night searching what legal loophole they could come up with to stop us doing the work. And we suddenly hit a stalemate, and if, um, I don't know if you can imagine, but we were sort of all ready to go with all the building works, different contractors called in, and we're all ready to go. And then, suddenly, on the evening before it starts, the whole thing breaks down. I think for us, we realized this was a moment where we could make some choices as what to do. Do we just ignore them? Do we actually get a solicitor involved and write a letter back and show them that the law that they're quoting isn't really for us? We didn't quite know what to do. And eventually, um, we sent our builder round, And our builder, just half an hour later, emerged having a good conversation and managed to resolve the issue. You know, I believe the wisdom of God was in that, that instead of prolonging it and pushing and pushing, it just took someone to get in there quick and nip it in the bud. Is there anything in your life that needs sorting quickly? And you know what, I'm asking a massive thing here because for some of you, you need to um, take on the pride in your heart that tells you you should make a stand. Some of you need to forgive. Some of you need to lose face. Some of you need to take responsibility which isn't totally yours just to make the relationship right. You know, all of this, of course, is absolutely impossible. That is impossible till we look at Jesus. Jesus refused to go the way of anger. He was quick to forgive when the disciples lacked faith when they fought over position and status and when they denied him. Instead, he took the anger of his enemies onto himself at the cross. And what Jesus does at the cross is quite incredible. He turns anger inside out. So somehow he takes the anger of his enemies and the anger of the world and all the consequences and pain of that anger before a holy God and he places it onto his own shoulders and he embraces it and as he embraces it and dies he takes it to the grave and it's in the grave three days later he rises again and that's the great Christian hope because it means that the power of anger and its grip on our lives the consequences of anger before a holy God are dealt with fully by Jesus the only person in the world who never got angry in a sinful way and that gives me great hope tonight as I preach because I stand with you as someone who struggles with anger I believe with all my heart that Jesus when he rose back into heaven and sent his holy spirit and told his disciples to wait until they've been clothed with power from on high I believe the Holy Spirit loves to come and fill us and remind us of who we really are, which are men and women that have had our hearts completely changed by the power of Jesus' resurrection. If you're a Christian here tonight, your heart is different. Your true nature, the true Christian in you is one who doesn't get angry, who expresses anger in a godly way, who is quick to forgive, who's quick to To make right things that are wrong. And every time you walk away from what you know to be right, you are not being who you really are in Christ. And you know what, that's the sort of family we want here. If we were just to preach this message and gloss over the hardness of it, what you end up is with a church that sort of has a few friendships and relationships but never does the hard work of building true friendship. And so even tonight, there might be people here that you need to go and speak to. There might be people here tonight that are angry and that you need to spend some time with. It might be that you just need to pray with someone and confess your sin. And as you confess your sin, he's faithful and just and will forgive your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So I really want to be in line with what the text says this evening and encourage you to be quick. And so what we're going to do is the band are going to come back. You're going to stand to your feet. Do you want to do that? And uh, we've got a team of people that we've trained that love to pray with people. They're trustworthy. And they would love to come alongside you and support you and pray for you and listen to you. And as the this song starts, they're going to make their way to the back. And if someone could get rid of those ropes at the back, that'd be great. And as that happens, if you know you need to receive prayer tonight, you need to get right before God. You need to ask for someone to help you see that your heart has been made new or perhaps you need to actually speak to someone and ask their forgiveness, then I would love you to go to the back too. And if there's anything else that you would love to receive prayer for tonight, perhaps tonight is the night you want to decide to follow Jesus and that you want to receive this new heart, a new friendship with God, then you can make your way to the back now. So I'm going to pray and then the band are going to lead us. Heavenly Father, thank you that you're here. Thank you that you're so good to us. Thank you that you sent your son Jesus. And we welcome your work here, Holy Spirit. I pray the power of the cross will be at work in our lives tonight, restoring friendship. Pray for courage tonight to look into our hearts that are angry and offer them to you in true repentance. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.